I'm Matt Dixon, and welcome to the Purple Patch Podcast. The mission of Purple Patch is to empower and educate every human being to reach their athletic potential. Through the lens of athletic potential, you reach your human potential. The purpose of this podcast is to help time-starved people everywhere integrate sport into life. And welcome once again to the Purple Patch Podcast. This is, as ever, your host, Matt Dixon, and today... We've got a great one. In fact, we've got a cracking one. The one and only Des Linden is joining us with her husband, partner, and great athlete in his own right, I might add, Ryan Linden. As you likely know, Des was recently crowned the Boston Marathon winner, the first U.S. female athlete to win the event in 33 years. But we're not going to focus on that day today. We're going to go deep. We're going to explore performance, the journey, adversity that she's faced, managing pain, and even a little bit about coffee. You won't want to miss it as it is Des like you've never heard her before. But first, a little bit about fireworks and, of course, word of the week. Yes, Purple Patch Fitness has teamed up with our partners Cyclops and Power Tap to make your summer training sizzle with our great cracking giveaway. Ugh, seriously, did I just say that? All right, I'll repeat it, guys. Yes, Cyclops and Power Tap to make your summer training sizzle with a great cracking giveaway. Goodness me. But here's the truth. Stay with me on this one. It is good. From now until July 8th, you can go to purplepatchfitness.com forward slash get cracking, get cracking, and register to win one of three great prize packages, including a pair of Power Tap P1 pedals a Cyclops Magnus indoor trainer, and a consultation with me. And a lot more beyond that. So go to purplepatchfitness.com forward slash get cracking and register. You'll also see many ways to receive bonus entries. Then on July 10th and 17th, join me for two, yes, that's two free webinars on how to train effectively and efficiently for your key races in a time-starved world. Simply visit purplepatchfitness.com and we'll have all the registration details on those. But let's get cracking on your training, all the cheesiness expected, of course, and while we're feeling cheesy, let's get on with word of the week. We like the way he thinks, serious with the way. Yes, the word of the week this week, team, team. In today's discussion with Des and Ryan, you're going to consistently hear them refer to team and how valuable that's been for them. For them, it's each other, their coaches, teammates, physical therapists, and much, much more. It is an individual sport, but you should never dilute the need and value of a great team. All levels of athletes require support, mentorship, honest and real advice, and great kindness to ultimately excel, especially, I might add, in the long term. So with this in mind, build your team. Find out what you need to excel. What are your needs? Support them. Nurture them. Be humble. Don't think the false premise that excellence is doing this all by yourself. It is going to be best with a team because with a great team, Behind the power of motivation and execution becomes acceleration. For many amateurs, this includes your partner. Please never dismiss or forget that. They may not love your hobby, but your partner is a key part of your team. Respect it, nurture it, and allow it to accelerate. You're not alone. And if you want to excel, you shouldn't be alone. And that is why the word of the week this week is team. Nah. Let's get on with the meat and potatoes. All right, guys, this is the meat and potatoes. And this week, we have a very special couple of guests joining us. And in fact, you might call them a power couple. Welcome to the show. Des and Ryan Linden. Hello, guys. Hey, thanks for having us. Thank thanks, you. Matt. Lovely to have you guys. And for, for the listeners at home, uh, Ryan is a longtime Purple Patch athlete. I think, Ryan, we've been uh, in partnership for five or six years now. And, um, and we'll get into 
your very funny story when you uh, you first joined us and were welcomed along to our pro camp uh, as we get later into the discussion and um and as a part of that journey des i've i've had the the privilege to be able to track your journey and sort of as a friend of purple patch and see you in in elite running um you have a, a distinguished running career des well um we will go through many of your achievements as we go through this discussion but i think most of the listeners at home will know you mostly as a uh, multiple time olympian but also the first u.s women to win the famed boston marathon in 33 years in a, in a great battle in epic conditions but today unlike probably most of the discussions that you've had around running over the last few months since uh, since april we're not going to talk about boston because I think most listeners know the story and know what a wonderful event it was. What I want to do today is I want to explore your great personal triumph, but extend the conversation to the path to performance and the road to get there. So I want to go through your journey, your learnings of that performance journey and how other people can learn from it, your guys' relationship dynamic and how that's facilitated both Ryan's development as an, an elite age group triathlete, as well as obviously Des is yours and a professional runner. And I want to start to dig into some of the components that so many people wonder about with elite athletics, overcoming pain, adversity, and fear. And of course, perhaps most importantly, at the end of the conversation, talk a little bit about the wonderful world of coffee. But um, but we'll get there. We'll uh, talk about it. But I think as as with every guest, I'd love to get a little snapshot about who you are as people. We know you as elite amateur triathlete and professional runner, Boston champion. But give us a quick snapshot. Tell us a little bit about growing up, your background, hometown, educations, work, etc. And and I guess I'll I'll have um, Ryan lead. Where where did you grow up, Ryan? Uh, so I grew up uh, here in Michigan, just outside of Detroit, uh, in a community called uh, in Rochester, uh, and grew up grew up there my whole life, and uh, have lived there pretty much the whole life, except for at college at Michigan State University and uh, some other little stints in between. But uh, been a, a Michigan guy my whole life here. Well, and uh, and Des, were you were you Michigan born and bred? I don't think so. I'm not. Southern California. I uh, grew up in San Diego and started sports at a super young age and um, found myself with a scholarship offer to Arizona State. Spent some time in Tempe and um, then found Michigan ties later on. So, And now I'm, I'm way down here. I got the, the old ball and chain in Michigan. So You, you guys are, are deeply rooted as, uh, as a Michigan couple, that's for sure. Well, let, let's go into your sporting background because you both grew up uh, runners. And uh, I know that, Ryan, you came to triathlon from running. But did you, did you grow up solely as single sport athletes? Were you just, just runners? Uh, for me, no. I definitely I grew up playing everything from baseball, basketball, soccer, uh, I think pretty much through beginning of middle school and, and end of middle school. And I think I started swimming when I was like seven for a summer club. And I think uh, towards the end of elementary school, I swam for a club team year round up until high school. And in high school is where I swam year round. But where I started to run was freshman year of uh of high school um and kind of got the itch then and turned to running after uh high school and continued on from that path so that's when you started to get sort of serious uh in running as you sort of emerged out of high school and became a bit more singularly focused on that correct how about you des how did you sort of evolve into into running was it was it out of single sport or were you also multi-sport yeah, I um, grew up playing soccer and softball, and softball was just too slow for me. Um, <laughs> it's like in the outfield, like looking for things to do because I was bad at it, and it just took forever to get the ball out there. Um, so my parents were like, "You don't have to play softball, but you can't sit at home and play video games. Pick another sport." Um, and so I picked track and field. But soccer was certainly my first love, and um, at five one you know, under a hundred pounds, it was 
running was a survival tactic and I was the fastest to the ball and the, um, you know, quickest to get it off my foot. And I realized that that might just translate better to a track career and uh, might be better for my body to not get destroyed by the bigger kids. <laughs> and then, then of course, when you, uh, when you went on to Arizona state, it became running and fully running. Yeah. Yeah. That's actually when I officially uh, became a full-time runner because I did soccer all the way through senior year of high school. And then emerging out of out of college, was that the? We'll get into your running career, but was that? Did you immediately turn professional as a runner after college? I did. I um, I didn't have a lot of options. Just I wasn't a super great collegiate runner, but I had some. I just had days where I thought I can compete with these people, and I had a uh, you know teammates that had won national championships and had gone on to do some really great stuff, and I could run with them all the time. So. Um, I wanted to give it a go and I found a development team out in Michigan, which brought me here and that, um, was the transition to the Hanson's Brooks. And, and is that when, uh, when you guys met, did you know each other prior or did you, did you actually meet in Michigan? No, we actually met in Michigan. Um, when she moved here, she moved and came out and fall or yeah, fall of 2005 I think I met her once or twice then, and then really met her starting in 2006. Um, yeah, when, we were neighbors then. We were, yeah. She was living with one of uh, one of her teammates, and uh, her teammate's boyfriend and me were good friends um, through training together and everything. So we got the, the good introduction and started connecting that way together. And, and Ryan, at that stage, you were... You were running seriously, yeah. At that stage, you were still you were a competing runner, yeah. Yeah, at that stage, I was still competing on the running only side, uh, trying to make. At that time, I was still trying to make uh, Olympic trials for 2008, uh, which or would have been 2007 trials in New York. Okay, okay. And, and did you guys start to film, form a, a partnership, a relationship, almost immediately? This is getting kind of personal. It is getting personal. I'm going deep. I'm going deep with you guys. Yeah, that's good. Um, actually, our first encounter was was not so good. Um, he was telling me about the women's team at Michigan State in track and field, and uh, basically kind of knocking the West Coast regions and uh, my accomplishments, or what he did not think were very great accomplishments. So our first interaction was not not awesome. And then um, as we started spending more time together as as neighbors and you know, friends of friends, uh, it was a little more friendly. And well, then obviously, we were able to run together and stuff too. Des, my first interaction with Ryan was not good either. So um, <laughs> I, I, I can, I, it resonates with me. But, and, and Ryan, how long did it take you to realize that, that you were actually all set to play bass in the band and Des was going to be the lead singer? Was that, was that pretty immediate that you realized that was going to be your future? <laughs> 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 I, I probably should have known from day one. Uh, no, but it, that did come along pretty quickly. I think. I think. Yeah. By the time we hit oh eight trials, yeah, you knew that I was going to be a bass player in the in the band, in the back of the stage the whole time. So. Don't, don't worry. You know, Jesse Thomas is very much the same in his household as uh, as you know. He's the second best athlete in his household, so we, you shouldn't feel any shame on it. It's. Uh, it's very normal. So, so Des, we want to dive in, and and obviously there was this 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 magical experience for you at Boston. I I I, I was so proud to see what you did, and uh, not that I had anything to do with it, but it was just a wonderful uh, accomplishment. And it was uh, the thing that sort of made so much joy for me was just not your achievement, but but knowing that it was such a shared achievement. Ryan being a part of the journey and seeing Ryan on the footage, it was wonderful. I want to dig into your journey to get there because I really think your, your development, where we want to sort of pick up your your story as a runner, was um, was your journey of progression from really when you first turned pro, which I think it was in two thousand six. Yes, and, and, and if I'm right, looking at my history, your first marathon was Boston. Is that accurate? That's correct. So, so tell me about those years, the initial years of turning professional, going through the journey. Give, it, give us the quick and, quick and dirty of what happened to you as an athlete. You came out to Michigan uh, all the way through till, let's say, the Olympics in 2012. Okay, yeah. Um, 
Well, I think transitioning from college to pro was a really big moment because it was all of a sudden I'm not trying to balance a bunch. It's about putting all your eggs in one basket and seeing if you can make it in this career. Um, and so when I moved all my stuff out, out to Michigan from Southern California, um, that was a big leap. And it was the first time I've ever put everything into running and, um, you know, the results mattered, not just because, you know, I wanted to be proud of them, but also it was my career for the time being. And it means you're holding off on other things in life. And so um, I put a lot of pressure on myself to do everything um, I could to be the best I could be. And that was the first time I had done that in my running career. So um, immediately as I got out to Michigan, I think I ran for about a month and a half and then I fractured my foot. Um, so that was a rocky start into the pro world. Um, and then, you know, coming back from that, I guess, guess that was a good lesson in, in patience and slowly building up and knowing that I wasn't going to be this rock star runner overnight. It was something I had to commit to for, um, a couple years. And so I tried my luck on the track and, um, I just didn't think that that was where I was going to have the success I wanted to have and eventually very quickly moved up to the marathon. And, um, yeah, I mean that, that process of my career and knowing that that's where I was going to be strongest and having, um, the teammates and the support system that really understood that event. Um, again, it was one of those things that kind of celebrated or asked for slow and steady patience and, um, and taking information from, a variety of sources and that's my coaches, my teammates and people like Ryan and um, honestly people like you, Matt, where uh, I take things that you tell Ryan for his races and I, you know, dissect them and figure out what makes sense for me. And I'm a big Twitter person because I think there's this whole volume of knowledge there that you can tap into and um, it applies across sports and life. And so <clears throat> it really has been a slow and steady journey. Um, and I kind of plugged away at it for a while and had a really big breakthrough in 2011 and was runner up in the Boston Marathon uh, by two seconds. Mm -hmm. At that point, it was a highlight in my career. I mean, that's tough to top. And you think about that one and pick it apart for a while. But, um, you know, I knew I had a lot of career left in front of me, ultimately made the 2012 Olympic team. Um, and that's, you know, every runner's big dream is going to the Olympics. Uh, and then that was followed up by probably the biggest disappointment of my career, which was heading into the games, um, not being a hundred percent, having to drop out and then having the biggest injury of my career, which was a stress fracture in my femur. So well, well, let's, let's go, let's go back to that and let's go through those initial years. And, uh, we're, we're going to talk about those Olympic games and the adversity and overcoming that emotionally a little bit, but, if you can sort of go up a level and remember yourself as an athlete back in 2007, 8, 9, 10, and the, the training and the approach globally there, do you feel like it's different than the Des of 2016, 17, 18? Uh, you've obviously got wiser, you've obviously grown, you've ever evolved, but what was your... What was your approach to training like there? What What do you think were some of the, the flaws, whether it's around nutrition, fueling, sleep, whatever it was, or, or do you think that it's just been a patient journey with a few slumps in there? No, I think um, it's balancing the pros and the cons of being a young, hungry athlete. And, you know, every day is like, this is my day to, you know, make something happen. And I think it's a simple thing that we all look back at and say, not every day has to be hard. You need to know what the purpose is and what the intent is and do that part right. And so I think probably what I did during that time was just attack every day really, really hard and hope for that big breakthrough instead of um, realize that I was going to commit to this for, you know, eight, 10 years and now in 13. So it's a difficult balance because you can't be a professional runner if you're, not making money. And in order to make money, you have to make something happen. So you have that pressure on your plate every day and you try to attack every day, but, um, sometimes that sets you back and then you, you know, you're not in the sport because you get hurt or so on and so forth. So it's hard to be patient and aggressive at the same time. It's kind of a contradiction. So, um, that was something that I was trying to figure out at the time, I suppose. And, and probably feeling the, 
internal pressure did or let me ask you did you feel the internal pressure of not just hey I, I I've got to compete to to obviously meet ends make ends meet but was there a was there a component in the very early years of validation like I'm, I'm putting the rest of life aside I need I need to be at the very highest level which of course forces athletes to try and accelerate the, the learning process the physiological learning process was that was that a feature for you or was it just ambition yeah. no absolutely I mean it's tough to graduate college have a couple of student loans out and then call your parents and say I'm going to be a professional runner um, and they're like that's not a real job <laughs> why did you go to college um, and then you know I was working part-time at a outdoor retail store called uh, Moose Jaw so I was like, I went to college to work at Moose Jaw. Sorry, mom and dad. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it is, you're like trying to better your situation, but bettering it takes four years, not, you know, four weeks. So it is a tr really tricky balance. And, and Ryan, you've, you've been there for pretty much the whole journey when, from your perspective, seeing sort of Des now and, um, and, and seeing how she approaches the sport now, have you seen from a habit and, and a global approach, have you seen an evolution of how you feel like she approaches the sport? Well, yeah, I definitely over the years have seen her evolve and change uh, as an athlete and how she approaches things on a, you know, as much as a race day to a daily, her daily habits and how she goes about her routine and what she does. And like she said, you're not out there trying to hammer everything every day. It's a matter of going out there, getting done what you need to, making the hard days hard, easy days easy, you know, whether that be that you need to, you know, get that extra massage or make sure you're getting that extra rest um, along the journey, you know, taking those naps, um, doing the things to, you know, keep you around in the sport. Right? You definitely have, I've noticed over the years and you know, I think bigger, I've seen her change, especially from after going to the couple of trips to Kenya and learning, you know, going there just to train and how it changes your mindset. And that's all you have to focus on um, and that continue on when she gets home. Well, let's dig into that. And I guess, Des, you, you, you went to Kenya, you trained and uh, you said, you know, that was, I think that was a real source of learning for you. Yeah. But but perhaps not in the way that people might think. It wasn't just about, wow, these guys are at another level and they're really hard, they're really hard workers. What were the lessons that you drew from that experience that you applied to your own performance journey? Yeah, that, the first trip I took over there was at a really difficult time. It was 2013 um, after the injury in 2012. It was maybe 14. But essentially it was kind of to reinvigorate myself about my career in running and decide, you know, if I really love the process because, um, it started to feel like more of a grind and more of a job. And so I wanted to just be in a different environment and seeing people over there who, you know, they lived for the morning run. And then the rest of the day, these top athletes went and, um, did whatever life needed from them. But that was the highlight of the day. And, an entire community every morning you could go out at six in the morning and there's 300, 400 runners that are, you know, living for that moment. And so, um, kind of put things into perspective and in that I get to run and it's really the coolest thing in the world. Um, and to not take it for granted, but there was also learning lessons in terms of, you know, they, these guys would go to group runs and they'd have a Wednesday fartlek and, start with 300 people and they would just run them into the ground. And, you know, some people would run until they just had to walk and that was the end of their workout and they would go home and then they would take you know, a couple really easy recovery days where it was almost painfully slow to go uh, run with them. And then they were back at it to just see if they could go a little further the next time, last a little longer in that fart like the next time. Um, so it was a total reminder of easy days, easy, hard days, hard, but, um, yeah, the whole experience was fun, just going and seeing a different culture and how much they appreciated the run. The, the, the sort of simplicity. It's, running is this wonderful sport. I, I say that as a, as a triathlon coach, but running <laughs> is, is beautiful in its, in its purity and simplicity. And you know, if you think about triathlon, 
you've got to put the wetsuit on, you've got gears and people are making crazy claims about aerodynamics and yada, yada, yada. The One of the great things is if running is a pair of shoes for the most part, you know, and um, it, it's it's probably one of the purest sports. At the same time, it's highly corrosive and it is a sport that is weight bearing, that there are a lot of injuries and particularly as as either people are getting into the sport or at the elite level are pushing the boundaries, which is necessary. And you, Des, have been through a fair amount of injuries. So coming out, removing yourselves, and you can both contribute to this as you both are great athletes and um, and obviously runners. What do you think are the biggest mistakes, the most common mistakes for for athletes training for events? And and I'll say the first one because you've said it a couple of times already. Going too hard in easy sessions, I think that's very much a a Western challenge. Uh, I think high enthusiasm, high motivation, people just bring the bottom up yet and um, and it diminishes recovery and it and it dilutes the ability to go really hard. What are the other components that you see in the running world, which of course extends to the endurance world of the mistakes that you see athletes make of all levels? Uh, I think for me, I can, you think of it and it goes with the, the hard, easy days, but it's also volume wise that like, You'll see people that will think that, oh, I can, you know, do a hundred miles a week. It's no big deal. But like they didn't do anything before it. And then they wonder why their, you know, stretch fracture in their, uh, you know, tibula or fibula, you know, um, I think understanding the importance of what you have to do and how you're building your training makes a lot more sense than just saying, I'm going to go run a hundred miles a week and wonder why I'm not healthy when I get to the race, race start line. Of course. Yeah. I think, um, honestly, it's just a lack of patience. You know, we have so much at our fingertips and we can get results now in most everything. Um, and running the longer you do it, it should accumulate and make you better and stronger. And, um, that experience goes a long way, but waiting for that is really hard. You know, it's hard to wait three years to have your breakthrough race, but that's generally what it takes. It's not an overnight thing, which is super frustrating. <laughs> it, 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 it is. I mean, it, we always talk about the journey and highlighting the the progression as much as sort of what you talked about, Ryan, but then the one word is consistency and then patience the second word and exactly what you say what about one thing i'm interested because i talk about it and you guys know that i talk about it so much the supporting habits as i call it so the elements such as fueling uh sleep recovery how much does that bubble up in the in the running world amongst athletes has been really important and i would say beyond lip service but actually truly integrated into the program do you think is it prevalent or is or is it still a little bit of an afterthought sometimes? Uh, He's thinking about um, me. No, <laughs> no, I think when you talk about like one for fueling, I think there's that kind of two, two sides of it. There's one like the fueling when it comes to race day that I think a lot of people misunderstand the fueling when it comes to the marathon and getting down, you know, your fluids throughout the race and the correct fluids or uh, whether it be gels or what you're doing for your food sources um, to also your daily habits. Um, You know, running does have that image thing and it's common. You see like the people that do have the eating disorders and it's not just females, but you do see it within the male side too, where it's always thought of that you're thin to win type mentality. And that's not what it is. It's, you know, it's eating healthy food, but eating good stuff consistent throughout the day and having a balanced diet, um, you know, allowing yourself to have that extra beer every once in a while or have that donut because it's re- you reward yourself. Um, I think people, sometimes people get so caught up in this strict regimen diet that or routine that they don't like and at the end of the day allow themselves to have fun. And it's, if I don't do this, I'm not going to do well type thing. Yeah, it diminishes the uh, it diminishes the joy and ultimately is is diminishing returns as well. Um, it, 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 race weight on on that Des, how do you 
you see that as being a, a still a really prevalent sort of topic of conversation in particularly marathon running? Um, I think I'm probably missing the conversation. It could be going on, but it's just not my cup of tea. Mm-hmm. Um, my, you know, for me, it's make sure I'm getting enough. I think I do so much work that I would rather grab the wrong thing and have something than, you know, not eat or miss a meal. Um, and I'm my race weight's super dialed in between downtime and marathon day. It probably fluctuates three to four pounds. So I'm fortunate. I don't have to worry too much about it. I guess I could tweak it and really dial it down if I wanted to. It's just something that I think would, um, might become obsessive and that's like the last thing I need you know it's it seems to be working out all right but and everyone has a different relationship with food and running and um the whole thing so I'm sure there is a bigger conversation but for me it's I kind of just know what works yeah I I I would give you humble advice not to try and dial that in more (laughs) so you you don't need to don't don't fix the thing that doesn't need to be fixed but uh, Um, it's true. You know, I remember a a few years ago and in fact, uh, in the lead up to, uh, his great performance at Boston, I, I was very lucky to work with Ryan Hall for a while. Uh, I'm not a running coach. I've, I've never claimed to be an elite running coach, but I helped Ryan through some fatigue and, uh, and he won't mind me sort of talking to this a little bit, but one of the, the components that I really shifted with his approach was, was his when he was eating and how much he was eating. And um, I think that he was sort of coming out of a program where there was a little bit of emphasis on getting down to race weight. But in my view, I didn't see him being having his running being built on a platform of health. And, and I think that was the most important thing to really, number one, free up and take off the shackles, the emotional shackles of it. And it enabled him to actually really start to enjoy his running again, which I think ultimately was the catalyst for him to have a good performance there as you're just going in there really happy, which I think is a component of, uh, of it. So very useful. And I think that when we're talking about all this stuff, it goes across all levels. This is not just about elite athletes. This is all levels of athletes that try and progress too quick, go easy in the heart, in the, uh, too hard in the easy sessions, etc. Um, Ryan, let's talk about your athletics a little bit. You, you joined in, by memory, I think 2012, because I think it was right around the London Olympics that we had an initial discussion, uh, yourself. Is that, is my timing correct on that? Yeah, uh, it was definitely, uh, London Olympics 2012. I can picture the, uh, coffee mm-hmm. shop, I think right outside of Tower Bridge. I think the first time I chatted with you when I was over there, um, about making the transition from the running world to the triathlon world and, and working with you and the Purple Patch team. And, and you were a, you're a very good runner in yourself. So two twenty six marathon runner by my two twenty five or two twenty six was that was that about your your level of marathon that you'd done? Correct. Two twenty six was my best. Yeah. Two twenty six. So so obviously a, a, a great runner in yourself. And then you choose this this deviation to the dirtiness of triathlon. What what, what was your thinking there? What sort of pulled you into another direction? Uh, I think it was lots of years of of high volume running, um, and the brain needing a change and, uh, the chasing, chasing new goal. Um, but I knew that also like growing up swimming, I, was, I thought there could be a nice transition into it, uh, into a sport of triathlon and thought, well, if I can swim decent and run fast, like this should be an easy transition into a, a, a new sport. Um, needless to say, uh, we're on year six here and I would say it's not the, it's transition starting to good now over the last couple of years, but it was not the, what I thought it was going to be right off the get go. You, you definitely, I mean, you had this great, so many people's weakness is the swim and you had a good enough swim to be highly competitive, you know, the high school swimmer that you, you came out of that you had the run. Uh, at least you had the run background. You, you learned what it was like to run off of a 112 mile bike very quickly, but it was, it was a pretty humbling start. Yeah. What, what, and I think the, the training camp, I invited you to the, the camp with my, my professionals. Uh, that, I think it was a really humbling experience to begin. Was that, was that a little bit of a, a slap in the face, especially on the bike? 
Oh uh, yeah. <laughs> I'll, I'll yeah. I, I still laugh about that that camp. Uh, there was days that I was like messaged as and was like, God, this sucks. I want to go home. <laughs> to at the end, I was like, damn, this was awesome. To now being like good friends with a lot of those people. Um, but it is it was humbling. I mean, I think of like it was one of the first days I was out on we rode in downtown San Francisco out in the out across the bay and over and it's like one of the first times I've been out on a in the city ever on a let alone a road bike a tri bike and these guys I'm like looking like I'm like the little kid on with training wheels on and <laughs> probably st- still had them on for the next three years after that um but it, it it was a humbling experience and watching all these other people you know just go by you like you were standing still um, it was a reality check on come to bike day. And, you know, fast forward now, uh, for, for listeners at home, if they're not aware, I mean, you've, you're a multiple time qualifier to Hawaii. You've, you've won, uh, your age group in Ironman races. Uh, in fact, overall, did you win? Did you win? Or were you second overall just by a minute or two in, in, an, in an Ironman as well? Yeah. But you, you are by definition an, an elite amateur. Ironman triathlete now, so you've you've done very well. I think one of the most interesting interesting things that happened for you as well was the learning curve of running off the bike. That was that was incredibly difficult to begin for you. I mean, you you sort of your first marathon, your two twenty six marathon run, and your first marathon, you weren't under three hours, were you? No, not at all. It's uh, it was a, a definitely a change coming from. You're used to running you know, 525, 528 pace. To, you're like, oh, that should be no problem to run under you know, three hours. And the realization is it isn't off of a 112-mile bike ride um, or even on a 70.3 off of, thir- off of a 56-mile bike ride. You know, It's not the same sport. And your body doesn't react the same. And it's... Especially in Ironman, it's a lot about the fueling throughout, the prep, what you do, the lead up to set yourself up for a successful run off the bike. Um, so yeah, there's a lot of learning there. And and it's you know it's like finishing a huge Lego puzzle that you did in in running, and then being told that you have to start all over again in this new sport. And and I will say I I, I don't give out compliments easy, but you've you've done a tremendous job of evolution as an athlete over the last four or five years. And, um, and I think now the great thing for you is your best racing is still ahead of you. You are, you are still young in the sport and, uh, and still have a great opportunity to evolve and grow, which is, which is great. And, um, but I want to talk about you guys. Uh, so we talk, you know, talked a little bit about Desi's journey and progression, you as a, as an athlete, for a while now, for a long time, you've been outside of um, being a wonderful husband. You guys obviously have a great relationship, but you've been a, in a huge supporting role for Des across two Olympics, major marathons, obviously Boston with many people seeing you on TV. How do you see your role in that lens outside of being the husband? How do you see your role as the supporter for, for Des? Um, when I see it as a supporter, it's, it's, it has many hats, but like it, uh, yes, yeah, she's my my wife and and everything to me. But it's there for like come race week or race day at a major race, um, and the lead up. I'm there to do what it is, you know, whether it be help her out on runs, uh, the cooking meals, to doing what we can with sponsors, um, to just being there as an everyday support person, whether that be, I'm, you know, like listen to workouts didn't go well and take the, you know, here, com- I don't know, bitch, the abuse, the abuse <laughs> of it. Or, I'll fill that in. Yeah. There's a lot of it. I'm there to like be supportive and, and be that, that extra hand, no matter what it is to help her get to that new journey. Um, you know, and provide her feedback on the outside thought on things. Um, and how, yeah, yeah. Sorry, to, to Des, through your lens, what's what's Brian? What's Ryan brought to that outside of the husband piece? It's uh, in in the performance realm. What's what's his benefit been for your partnership? Oh, I mean, it's 
partnership is the right word. It's totally a collaboration and, um, you know, it's again with everything it's bouncing workout ideas off of him. Um, you know, asking about pace or, Hey, can you do this run with me? Cause I don't think I'm going to get out the door. Um, you know, if, if I don't have someone to help me out today and you know, he's super flexible with his schedule, uh, don't tell his coach that. <laughs> uh, and yeah, no, I mean, it's, and I, I try to do the same when he's in training and he has his hard stuff going on. Let me make dinner this night. Or, you know, if we go to the race, like, let me carry your bags, whatever it may be. And it's just, you know, knowing it's an individual sport, but honestly, you really can't do it all yourself. Like there's just so many demands, um, in the buildup and on race day and, and all the preparation that, um, I have the best supporting partner in the world. And so, you know, when you're out, doing the hard event, it makes it so much easier to feel like you're on a team because we truly are a team. And and you two are the, the nucleus of the team in your sport. You you mentioned team earlier in the core. You, you talked about moving to Michigan with the team. Mm-hmm. Uh, has that been critical in your path with, um, you mentioned teammates, you mentioned your coach and you, you were with your coach for, for many years, yeah, since 2006. So Talk to me about the value of team and the support crew and what that's made up for, for you guys. Yeah. I mean, I think it's always, you know, kind of getting adjusted and tweaked and frankly, just having more people added that are helping you out and, um, makes all the difference. You know, I have, I consider, uh, John Ball, part of my team, chiropractor in Phoenix. Um, my agent, Josh Cox, he's a part of my team. You know, any coach who's willing to give me advice or feedback, I consider him a small part of my team. Um, you know, and it just, there's so many people that are willing to chip in and want to see uh, others have success. So team isn't about sponsors or, you know, uniform colors. It's really the people who are there to help you out. And so um, it does, it's, it's very it's flexible. It doesn't look necessarily like what people think it is, but um, it, it involves a lot of people. And obviously when you're out there doing the thing for me, that's, those are the people I think about. And it's, again, it's not just you on the course. You want to do justice to all those people who have chipped in and, um, look them in the eye afterwards and say, yeah, I gave everything. And they show up and give everything, uh, outside of the race. And I expect that of them. And, and, my teammates have always come through. And so my job is to get on the course and reciprocate. So I think it's uh, because it is an individual sport and as in any individual sport, I think people from the outside sometimes underappreciate all of the, uh, the players that help an individual athlete, both in terms from a practical sense. And I want to talk more about John Ball in a session, which second, which is very practical, but then also an emotional sense. And, and one of the feelings that, that I get from reading the articles and talking to people like you is, um, is the teammate at the moment, women's US running is just in this wonderful place where it seems to not just have a whole bunch of really good athletes, but a lot of them seem to be really collaborative and really believe in, in, um, in, in collaboration and support. And has, has that helped you, that culture? Have you felt that culture amongst the, the elite U.S. women? Yeah, I think there's, I don't want to say a shift, but maybe, maybe it's been a gradual building up towards this moment, but there's just a ton of respect. And, um, you know, when you have a lot of respect for people, you're willing to help out and, their success doesn't take away from you. It's just another boost for the whole group. And so I think uh, this group right now really gets that and that it takes a lot of time to get these results. And we've all kind of paid our dues for a while. I think um, maybe one thing that's kind of interesting is it's a very mature group of people. And I mean, you know, 30 to 35 is the age range of most of the people having a ton of success in the marathon right now. And I think having put in our dues for a long time. Um, maybe we have a little better understanding of what everyone else is doing and can respect and want to boost all of us up. Well, I, I have to say, because so often people view, um, and particularly I would say in a, a, a relatively sexist, sexist lens, but people 
I've consistently heard people say that, that women cannot be great teammates and, oh, they're vicious. They argue, they drag people down, yada, yada, yada. And guys will just say how they feel and move on. And I have seen in, in the purple patch pro a, a pro team, a really supportive, uh, realization that if one person is, person is succeeding, helping another person helps everyone grow. And that really seems to come through amongst the group of women. In fact, I would say, a lot of companies and leadership teams within companies could really learn with, with how you guys have, uh, have grown and exposed that. So it's, it's wonderful to see. And I think it's going to that long term team based to help you as an individual. And, um, so, uh, so kudos on that as, uh, one of my least favorite words, but I will say it in this podcast. Let's talk about John Ball, uh, based in, Phoenix, Arizona, Chandler, Arizona. He's been a, a huge part of your team here and, um, chiropractic, but he is a, a shaman and interesting. We, we know him independently. So I, I have a relationship with John. Many of my athletes have been to him. I've never, I have to say, I've never met anyone like him. And it, it sounds like he's just been a huge part of your physical and, uh, well-being and performance journey. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. Um, you know, he was someone I reached out to after the London injury. Um, you know, everyone hears about John Ball, and it's like, there's no way I can get an appointment with this guy. He's going to be way too busy, um, you know, and he responded right away. And I didn't make the first appointment to go down. I just had uh, had, had a marathon on the books and was like, I'm just going to scrap it. And he saw the news that I had pulled out of the marathon, and he emailed, he emailed me back and said, we can get you ready. You need to come down here. Like, let's let's talk, you know. And it was pretty amazing to have this guy who's so well known and so great in his field to care, care that much just about, um, my performance and my health and actually reached out a second time, followed up with me and was like, come down here. Um, and you know, that was immediately, this person's not trying to get something from me. Um, they just want to help. And it's been that way ever since. I think that's, that's uh, one of the, best relationships I have. I just trust him fully and I've never gone down there and, um, walked away feeling worse. I have always come out of there feeling much better, uh, with a plan and, you know, just feeling confident and optimistic leaving there. And so it's, it's pretty amazing. Um, I think it's part physical work, but he's part sports psychologist. You can get in your head and, um, just a good relationship with him can make you feel good about the future. It, it, for me, someone people often ask, you know, why why do you have so much respect for him? Why do you you see him as as another level? And um, and the best way I can explain it with him is what you're looking for if you go for treatment, either preventative or obviously a corrective. So trying to get you know get over an injury or or try and mitigate the the, the negative of an injury. You want a very clear diagnosis of the problem. You want. Uh, immediate relief from the problem so the sensations to go away and you want a absolute strategic plan to help you navigate so a framework of you can do this and you can do that but you shouldn't do the other and those three elements are often um, very different skills and yet he is better than I've ever met across all three of those <laughs> and I think that's and underneath it he really cares as you say so it's um, it's quite a, a staggering uh, connection to have and, um, and person to have in your team, which is, uh, is wonderful to hear. Um, I want to talk about coaching and, uh, you had the, the same coach for, for many years. And I, I just want to talk about the, the value, how you see coaching as a part of your journey. What does it, what, what role does a coach have? Should they have? And how key are they? And, and both of you can talk about this, Ryan and, and, uh, Des, you've been coached by, by, by me, Ryan and, um, and Paul, my assistant, our, our sidekick. So why don't you talk about how you view coaching globally and, and the benefits, the challenges and how, how it's helped you? Yeah, I can go. Uh, so for me, coaching, I mean, I think I go back to 2012 and that first time I talked to you and, uh, and think about it now, if I had tried to go down this journey of being a triathlon, especially in the long distance world, without having a coach, 
Jesus, I would have been lost as all hell. Uh, I probably would have ran, tried to run the same amount, biked a few times, uh, maybe twice a week or something, thinking that you could get away with like 20 miles and it would have been stuck out in the middle of Hawaii Island, uh, Kona Island right now, uh, hoping I maybe make it back in time um, for Christmas or something. But the reality is, is for like me, the, the commitment like to be with you and Paul um, and the journey that it's been, it, you know, it's a, a sounding board for each other uh, as far as workouts and direction, but it's believing in the journey, the process, uh, being consistent, being present, um, that makes up the whole part of it. I think like my biggest thing from day one is believing in the, the whole process of the, the Purple Patch Foundation. Um, and knowing it's not, it's an evolution. It's not going to happen overnight. Um, and have that commitment and the consistency to continue to put the workouts together, the, the off seasons and what it takes to become the better athlete. I think without that and, and bouncing around trying to look for, uh, the next two secret success just doesn't, it doesn't build anything. Um, we're, for me being lucky to stay with you and continue on this journey, we know what the end goal is and what we want to continue to work with and what works and what doesn't type deal. How about you, Des? Yeah, I think for me, it's, um, I've been with the same coaches for 13 years and it's been a process of, I love that it's been long-term, but it's been a process of, you know, really buying into and believing in a system and saying, you guys are in charge. Um, I'm going to follow you and, just trust that it's going to help me succeed, um, in doing that and having success and, you know, ups and downs through it, but writing, writing it out. Um, and then it kind of shifted into, I've done this program quite a bit and I know, you know, for me personally, what I need to tweak, um, let's try this, let's try that. And more of a sounding board and a kind of a collaborative effort, um, during the middle of my career with, with the Hansons. And then ultimately towards the, the, the later years, it's been to me kind of wanting to gain the independence and you've done so much for me. I, I know what works. I know what doesn't. Um, I want to see if I can do this on my own. It's almost like student trying to become the master. And, um, you know, if they've done a great job, which I believe they have, I should be able to, um, get a lot done on my own and maybe tweak it even a little, a little bit more and have the tools to potentially help other athletes um, that might need something a little bit different, but similar to the same program. So uh, I think it's, you know, a growing up process. I, I think, I mean, I'm, I'm lo- it's lovely to hear you say that. I One of the things I sometimes say is, hey, if I can make myself irrelevant, that's great. And of course, that, that means that because I, I believe in coaching uh, in part being education and empowering the athlete to be able to make smart decisions. And, um, and my best relationships that I've had have been with athletes that have a certain amount of autonomy in their programming and not just waiting to be spoon fed the program. I always think that the spoon fed approach is, or the dictator approach is another way I think is typically short term and, um, and ultimately doesn't help the athlete grow. Well, last week, uh, to finish, I want to ask you one more thing, which is around uh, fear and pain. Two of my favorite subjects, fear and pain. But last week we had Laura Siddle on uh, a Purple Patch Pro, and she, in, in with great vulnerability, dispelled the myth of professional athletes not feeling pain and, and not having to manage fear. So I think, figure it's timely to ask you, as one of the best marathon runners in the world, do you ever, did you ever, uh, do you ever have real doubts about your yourself and the the ability to take the next step? Yeah, I think um, early in my career and definitely as a collegiate, I was investing so much. Um, I wanted it so bad, but I think I was a little bit afraid to have that breakthrough because of the expectations it might put on me. Um, and then what's the next thing? How can you top that? Um, so it was almost like I was afraid to succeed just because I didn't know how that would change things. And if I always had like the fallback plan or the excuse, it was like, okay, that, well, there was this or there was that. Um, and then shifting into going pro where I basically put everything on the line, um, and said, I want to do this as a career and I'm going to have to 
I'm going to have to have success. There is no fallback plan. Um, that was a big turning point for me where it was like, you can't be afraid to have success. You can't be afraid to fail. You have to just try and see how good you are. And if it's not good enough, that's kind of the point you want to find out, um, before you invest 10 years. Um, and so all of a sudden failure wasn't really scary. It was just information. Um, and I think there'll be a different, there is a different, uh, I guess, fear of failure now at this point in my career where it's like, it's inevitable that I'm going to take a step back. Um, I'm 34 at some point, father time catches up with all of us. And so that's kind of frightening. Uh, when will the wheels fall off? How bad's it going to be? Um, but oh, I, I can tell you it's very, very, very bad. <laughs> <laughs> that's not good. So you're making that makes me scared. So that's what I'll have to work through, um, you know, as I hit that wall. <laughs> <laughs> How about pain? How do you, because, and I'll tell you why I want to uh, ask you about pain, Des, is you are well known for perhaps better than I've ever known, a marvelous ability for pacing. Uh, many of your races I've seen, I think by, by memory, your Olympic Games was maybe your, your second half of your marathon was maybe a second in difference in pacing. So you have this, this great ability to pace, but in there becomes a lot of pain as well. How do you manage pain as you're, as you're in the middle of a race or in the middle of a hard training session? I think it's knowing when to act and when to, um, be right behind that threshold, you know, and in the marathon, we typically go to 20 miles just behind that line. And then once you cross 20, you really engage. Um, and I, you know, I learned that pacing the hard way in my second marathon, 2008 Olympic trials. Um, I think I was eight seconds out of third place. I'm like, I'm making this Olympic team. This is it. And I hit the wall, um, just did not pace correctly, did not feel correctly. And it's not even, pain as much as it is I, I don't know just like complete depletion exhaustion um and honestly this is kind of embarrassing uh how slow you can run in a marathon if you don't do it right and so that to me was kind of like let me learn how to manage this event and put myself right on that edge as long as I can and then try to push through the last, the last 10 K. So it's, uh, you have one bad experience and you make sure you learn how to tackle that. And, and with the, uh, what I'm interested in there with, uh, so that sounds very individual in management. So you've got a, you've always got a hybrid because you are racing quote mano a mano. When you approach your strategy globally, what's the blend between, I just need to get my individual best performance over 42 K 26.2 miles and tactical racing and, um, a strategy in advance, or I guess ultimately the reaction to things that are occurring, where does that hybrid fit for you? It might not be an easy question to answer. Yeah, no, I think, um, you know, I have a really good indicator from training of what I'm ready to do. And I try to do that through the smart part of the race. And then if any, you know, out-of-body experience is going to happen. Let's have it over the last 10K where I outperform my wildest expectations. But, um, you know, if you do that at the six-mile mark in the marathon and you think you're going to have your, your day, usually doesn't end up going that well. Um, but, you know, I, and even in mo with moves in the race, it's like you can cover it up to this much and you can get in over your head up to this much. Um, but this has just not been shown in your workouts in any of your races and anything. So this level of fitness might be a little bit too much. And there's certainly a point where I guess you could just throw caution to the wind. And maybe that's the part of the career I'm in now. Um, you know, I've had the, the win and I've had a bunch of really great races and maybe we'll just go wild here. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't strike me as wild, but go for it. Um, <laughs> It, it, okay, so all of this so far, we've we've got two short things to finish up, but this conversation has all been leading like a vortex to this question. Tell me about coffee. Coffee. So, <laughs> what, 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 what? How did this get born? I, suddenly, you guys were were generating wonderful coffee. Um, 
with uh, with another couple of athletes. Give us the quick and dirty on this, Ryan. I'm very interested to hear how it went and what the story is. All right. So this uh, it started out with me and Des have definitely been kind of coffee nerds here for a while. Um, and our coffee game, it kind of crept up along the journey um, to doing some little bit of roasting at home. Uh, there happens to be another pretty good uh, professional group of athletes, uh, Ben True, uh, American record holder in the 5K, and Sarah True, a two-time Olympian in triathlon, that are kind of both coffee nerds also that we uh, had a little connection with over the years. Um, and we kind of did a little chat to talk about, me and Ben did about uh, some more roasting. He had order, ordered a a commercial one kilo roaster convinced me to do it. And there was some talk of, uh, maybe doing a company together. Fast forward a couple months later, I had an idea. I said, Ben, let's, let's combine. Um, let's try to put this company together and make a launch at Boston marathon. It'd be a great time to, to do something. Uh, his thing was he told Des that the only way he would do this company is that she has to win the marathon. um, so Des is out. She doesn't have to do anything else for the company at this point. But uh, we kind of we formed uh, Linden and True Coffee. Um, officially launched uh, the week before we announced it to the public a week before the Boston Marathon, and then did a pop up at Tracksmith that weekend. And then since then, it's been selling online. Um, it's turned more from like what we thought was going to be a small little side thing to uh, turned into a pretty big company at, at this point so quick, pretty quickly over the last two months here. If you were looking for some PR, I'm not sure if you guys were aware of this, but if you were looking for some PR, that Desi's performance in Boston might have been a small catalyst to help that. So <laughs> it, it's not just your fine roasting skills, Ryan. I can promise you that. <laughs> yep. It was all me the whole time here. <laughs> Team effort, team effort, partnership. That's the word we're focusing on. So here we go. It's the last thing. We we do this with all guests. We're going to have to – it's it's quick fire round. So you've got uh, just a few questions, very quick. This has to be one word or one sentence off the gut. You can't think about it too much. Each time we're going to have uh, – we're going to set Des up for success. So we're going to have Ryan respond very quickly and then Des afterwards. So she's going to get an extra three seconds to think about the response, Okay. All right. Okay, here we go. We do, we do it all of them. Number one, what's the biggest challenge time-starved high performers face? Napping. <laughs> oh, um, proper eating? I don't know. Proper eating. There you go. Okay. Um, number two, what's your number one performance habit to help daily energy? Coffee. <laughs> Um, have a plan. Have a plan. Golden. Number three, when you're training, listen to music, focus on the task, or troubleshoot life and work problems. Uh, I'm going to focus on the task. Focus on the task. Good man. That's elite athletes right there. That's good. <laughs> here's, here's a broader one. This will be challenging, especially for Ryan. What do you wish you had more of? I don't know, boy. I'm going to say more time to focus on being with my wife alone, relaxing. Awesome. I'm going to shorten that down to just family time. Family time. Good stuff. Okay, back to training. Training. Do you like to fly solo or surround yourself with a crowd? Might be both. I would say for me, it's it's definitely both. I like a little of, of each of it. I'm a solo person. Here's one for both of you guys. Name one to two characteristics of an elite performer. Consistency. And driven. Um, patient and competitive. All right. See another good one. Who has been your biggest mentor, performance or otherwise? Uh, 
For me, I'd have to say coaches and my wife. Uh, Going to give the nod to my sister. Good. Here's the last one. And by the way, before I say this, I I heard the best response to this question this morning at our swim program. One of my athletes said, someone's got to say this, which I'll give it to you afterwards. I'm not going to give it. What's your number one tip for travel? Enjoy it. (laughs) Um, Pack a carry-on. Pack a carry-on. My good friend and Purple Patch athlete, Scott McMallon's response was, Go business class. <laughs> it's a pretty good tip. I just can't afford it. <laughs> oh, that, that is true. Did he answer what do you need more of with money? <laughs> exactly. You have to balance that with money. So, so guys, thank you so much. It's um, Thank you for pulling back the curtain and allowing us to go inside and, and really understand more about you as, as both athletes and human beings. I think it's... I think there are so many gems in there for people to hear from. So I really appreciate your valuable time and, uh, and I'm humbled that you would come on here, Des and, and Brian, both of you. And, and finally, with success breeds more challenge, different challenge for you both. And so I, wanna, I want to wish you the best of luck over the coming years that I hope that your best triathlon and running performances are ahead of you. And I hope that you continue to love the journey because you're, you're great ambassadors for the sport. So I wish you the best of luck. And of course, on the coffee business as well. Cheers, guys. Thank you, Matt. Yeah, thank you, Matt. Cheers. Wow, thank you. That is all I can say. Des, Ryan, I really appreciate it. It is seldom that athletes of this level are willing to go through and open up so much. At Purple Patch, we want to share Ryan and Des's coffee with you. And yes, I'm sure you want to try it. Well, guess what? Now you can. Check out the show notes and listen to the episode and then head to purplepatchfitness.com forward slash coffee and learn more. We're going to give away a whole bunch of the Linden True coffee and you can even get on and subscribe if you want to. So thank you, Des and Ryan. Lovely episode, really informative. And let's finish off with a great celebration of the water of life coffee. Let's head to purplepatchfitness.com forward slash coffee and you can learn more. Until next time, take care, guys.